Are you a high-performing real estate investor who's looking to further elevate your performance? If so, download our free guide, Raising the Bar, Five Steps to Elevate Your Habits by joining our insider network at elevatepod.com. This guide created by yours truly has the power to put your transformation on autopilot and exponentially change your trajectory. Go get your free copy now at elevatepod.com. Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chesser. I'm so thankful to have you here. And I am blessed and grateful to be sitting with Michael Easter today. Today's conversation is so powerful. It is really almost the key. I mean, he's gone out there and, and done the hard work so that you can truly understand the key to your transformation because today's episode is about transformation. And you know, listening to Elevate Podcast, we're all about mindset, mind expansion, and personal growth for high-performing real estate investors. And the central theme of really what we're all about is continued transformation. Because if you want to go to that next level, if you want to go beyond the next level, it's about continuing to challenge yourself. It's about continuing to become that next version of yourself. And today's episode is going to give you the tools to do that. So I'm really excited about this. I am your host, Tyler Chesser, and I'm a professional real estate investor and high performance coach. It is my job to decode the stories, habits, and multifaceted expertise of world-class investors and other experts to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. Are you ready to take it to another level? Today is the day, it is time, let's raise the bar. And before we dive into this conversation, I want to remind you, if you haven't done so already, to follow Elevate Podcast and wherever you listen to podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, you know, Stitcher, oh my goodness, Google Podcasts, we're all over the place, iHeartRadio, shout out to everybody listening. I want to encourage you to follow, subscribe, give us a rating and review. We certainly really, really appreciate those rating and reviews. And it also gives people a hint for what they can get out of this podcast. And you guys know that we're here to give, we're here to contribute. And uh, this is a total passion project, something that I love to do. And I hope that comes through to you. I just want to spread all of my love to you. I hope you're having a phenomenal day. And with all of that said, I want to dive in. I want to introduce you to Michael Easter, who is the author of The Comfort Crisis, Embrace Discomfort to Reclaim Your Wild, Happy, Healthy Self. He is the contributing editor at Men's Health Magazine, columnist for Outside Magazine, and professor at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. His work has appeared in more than 60 countries and can also be found in Men's Journal, New York, Vice, Scientific American, Esquire, and others. He lives in Las Vegas on the edge of the desert with his wife and their two dogs. And without further ado, welcome Michael Easter, the phenomenal individual, and enjoy this amazing, amazing episode with Michael Easter. Michael Easter, welcome to Elevate, my friend. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm great, man. Thank you so much for being here. Super excited about our conversation today. You know, one of the things I like to do as I lead into these podcast discussions is gain some additional perspective on my guests. And the way that I ask this question, I hope that you appreciate it. But if you were to describe yourself in the way that your closest friends or family members would describe you, what would they say about Michael Easter? Mm, that's a good. That's a good question. I've never thought of that. Um, <laughs> probably overanalyzes things. Um, generally, pretty upbeat. I would say I'm a generally happy, positive person, but I do tend to. Uh, I'm like definitely a very deep thinker and sort of peeling off layers of, of thought, which can be good sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes you just need to make a decision, man. So, you know. <laughs> well, I'm sure it certainly serves you in the, the field that you've chosen, right? And being a journalist and being a thought leader, obviously we've got to deeply think, right? About things before you share them. So where did that come from? I mean, is that just the nature of your personality and just who you are to the core or where did that come from? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think like all things in life, it's like a mix of genetics and environment, right? So I think I probably have that gear. Um, but also I was raised by my mother who is a voracious reader. I mean, just reads a ton. Um, and she really exposed me when I was a kid also to travel. So she's, I'm an only child and she was a single parent and she's, um, She's got an interesting backstory in that um, she, my dad basically left when we were, when I was a baby, more or less. I don't, I don't know. I mean, she was kind of in a hard spot in her life and she decided to just sort of dump everything, move us to Utah. We were living in, um, outside of Sun Valley, Idaho and start her own business. And man, she just like rocked it, like 
you know, the, the cards are definitely stacked against single moms in this country and she's done really well for herself. It's not like she's a bajillionaire or anything, but we were very, uh, I was comfortable as a kid. We could do some world traveling. It's like, you know, she was never driving like crazy nice cars. She would take the money we had and we would go do cool stuff. And so I think that exposure to different ideas and cultures and stuff sort of instilled in me this, uh, a lot of questions. And so I, I like questions and seeing where they lead. That's awesome, man. And that actually gives a lot of context as to why the way you are uh, just being sort of independent thinking and introspective. And maybe even at times, as you even with your own words said, Hey, I may overanalyze at times. (laughs) Um, But, you know, spending time with yourself and obviously seeing your mom kind of climb out of an extremely you know, challenging situation, being a single parent and climbing out of a financial hardship. I would imagine there was financial hardships, but being an entrepreneur, I'm sure you came to really appreciate how she was able to do that as you came of age. But man, reflecting back, being able to travel with her and experience a lot of things. And it's really cool to hear that she is such a voracious reader. And, and obviously you being an author yourself now, I can imagine she's extremely proud of uh, of the path that you've taken and and so forth. But is there any comments that you'd like to make on that? Uh, no. I mean, she. I, I think you nailed it. Like she kind of set a good foundation and then I just kind of went from there. Um you know, I wasn't always the the perfect kid when I was in high school. I was a little bit of a hell raiser, but um, I don't know. I survived. We're on the other side of it. So, yeah. <laughs> That's good. awesome, man. I was uh, I have to give you this story and the, this gift. I'm sure you'll appreciate this. I was uh, I was reading Men's Health magazine a few months. Actually, it was a couple months ago and uh, or maybe it was maybe six weeks ago or so. But anyway, it doesn't matter. I'm reading the magazine and it was a great article. And I'm like, oh, this is awesome. And, uh, you know, the, the, the author there is Michael Easter. And I'm like, wait a minute, I think I'm going to be having a conversation with him here in a few weeks. So I thought that was cool how that came full circle, but man, <laughs> I appreciate your work. I really do. And I'm actually curious about this, like where did, and, and when did you become so interested in like the intersection of science and, you know, psychology and evolutionary wisdom? I mean, like wh- when did you become so fascinated with that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, when I was in college, I, I, I had this plan. I was going to get a business law degree and I was interested in science, environmental science, and I was going to be like an oil baron or something. Um, (laughs) I could see it. And, um, then, but I'd always grown up reading, um, really been into work, uh, books, especially nonfiction stuff and always been like a hardcore magazine junkie. And I took this English, English class when I was in college and it was environmental writing. And I was like, this is it. Like, this is like, I love this. This is super fun. Um, Not only did I have fun, but I could see that like some of the stuff that I wrote seemed to resonate with people in the class. You know, we'd have to edit each other's work and blah, blah, blah. I graduated college in 2009. So that was the year of the the financial collapse happened while I was, everyone in my year is planning on, you know, getting a job. And so my options were go back home and hang out in the basement and take some random, you know, menial job or go to grad school. So I decided to go to grad school and I went to a journalism school and I'd always been into like long narratives and, you know, I kind of mentioned sort of a deep thinker and I ended up working some part-time gigs at uh, Esquire and GQ and also Scientific American. So I had this weird intersection of like dude magazines on one hand and then science magazines on the other and a job at Men's Health opened up and I took it. There wasn't that many jobs around. I was like, yeah, that sounds like a good fit. And I was hired to do a lot of stuff on fitness and nutrition, which I'd kind of tangentially been interested in. Like I worked out, I tried to watch what I eat, but it was like, I didn't really know much. Um, but the guy who hired me, he's like, well, you can write. And we find it's a lot easier to teach a writer the health stuff than it is to take someone who's like a trainer and teach him to write or something, you know? Um, and I think from there, you know, I was like, yeah, whatever, we'll do this job for a couple of years and move on. Um, but I actually really found it fascinating and just the, um, uh, there's a lot of nuance and a lot of, you know, a lot of my job is reading studies and like thinking about the ways in which people think and why we do the things we do and, and what, um, what makes us healthy and why. And I think, you know, from a lot of my work, it tends to tie back to 
uh, or adapted for certain <laughs> environments that we evolved in, right? To face certain conditions. And this is what I sort of get into in my book, The Comfort Crisis. And we've just totally changed our environment, like completely over the last hundred years. So, I mean, where do you want to start? It's like our ancestors, they had, they were forced to do 14 times more physical activity than we do. They didn't exercise because life was exercise, right? And now we've engineered movement out of our lives. Think about something like food. It's like we evolved in environments where food was hard to come by. Now we are not only swimming in food, but the food that we have is this ultra processed, really calorie dense stuff that sort of hijacks these, um, brain mechanisms we have to, to reward us. So we're really incentivized to overeat it and on and on and on. Um, and I just find that fascinating. Uh, I really like thinking about things sort of on a bigger scale than, um, you know, just chewing off one topic, kind of like to connect the dots. So that's kind of what I tried to do uh, in the book. Yeah, me too. And and I think it's so important for people who are looking to design their life and really design their business to not only be the best of the best, but to live a fulfilling life to understand what drives us and maybe where we've come from, how we've adapted, and then maybe what modern society has done and, and how we can interact with that to an optimal perspective, which is why I'm really fascinated with your work. And it, it almost seems like at some point through that path, and, and by the way, I, I graduated from college two years after you, so I can somewhat relate and I <laughs> yeah. can imagine and I can understand entering into the workforce at that point in time is like, man, it's uh, it was a weird, weird environment because you're trying to get a job and the whole economy is like, hey, hey, guy, uh, <laughs> there are no jobs to be had. Good luck. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so so it's almost like that. It, it pushed you in this direction. And obviously now looking back, it was a gift because it's pushed you in the direction where your, you know, your unique ability is shining. But your curiosity has helped you uncover things along the way. And it's kind of pulled the, all these pieces together. It's almost like the question then came up to you. It's like, are people too comfortable? Right. It's like, so yeah. when did that question arise? I'm just curious. Yeah, there are a handful of reasons for that. So I I work at Mental Health, right? For I was on staff for a bunch of years and now I'm a contributing editor, which basically just means I'm a writer, a uh, regular <laughs> writer for them. It's a strange title. Seems but, fancy though. Yeah, it's, it sounds fancy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and in that job, I basically realized, you know, I had, I noticed that anything that tends to improve human health, performance, you know, physical health, mental health, whatever, usually comes with uh, some discomfort. So think about improving your fitness. If you want to improve your fitness, you're going to have to work out. Working out is uncomfortable. If you want to lose weight, you're probably going to be hungry at some point, right? Because you're going to have to eat less. That's uncomfortable. Even improving your relationships uh, often comes with conversations that you may not necessarily want to have, but you have right. to have, right? So I make that um, observation. And long story story, I had a handful of things that sort of reinforced that uh, in my life. But through my work, I'd always, um, I sort of, I guess you would say rose up through the ranks as a writer for the magazine. Cause I was good at finding, um, interesting people in interesting places doing interesting things, which is like really what makes a good story. Right. And a lot of, uh, a lot of the other people on staff, they didn't ever want to get out of the office. They didn't want to embed themselves in places. And that was just totally my my jam. Through this, I ended up meeting this dude whose name is Donnie Vincent. Now, Donnie is a backcountry bow hunter and filmmaker. He goes into the world's most remote places and he'll spend like a month, two months hunting, making these movies that are much more, I explain them as like planet earth, but with hunting like mm. they're beautifully shot. I mean, they're, they're fantastic. <clears throat> we become friends and he invites me up to the Arctic on a hunt with him for, it's going to be more than a month. And I sign on <laughs> and, you know, I thought, all right, this, you know, this is going to be challenging, but I should be all right. You know, cause I'd, uh, just through men's health, I'd embedded myself in these extreme gyms and met all these wacky characters and done, you know, like trained with pro athlete, whatever. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm a writer. So it's not like I'm some super fitness dude, but like I've, I've done enough that, you know, I was like, okay, it should be all right. You're like, but at least this will there. be a good story, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I get up there and it's, uh, it's totally crazy. Like I just got all these different forms of discomfort get thrown at me. Like we're constantly hungry right? cause we only packed in a certain amount of food. Um, everything we do takes effort. If I want to drink a water. I got to hike down to the river and get it and then hike back up 
you know, to camp. We're carrying 80 pound packs on our backs. Even the silence and solitude of nature can be really uncomfortable at first. And everything is challenging. Just there's, everything's challenging. But I get back to my life at home. I live in Las Vegas and like, I'm totally transformed. I'm, you know, 10 pounds lighter and I'm fitter than I've ever been. And I think more importantly is that sort of the dial on my mental and physical health felt like it had been moved like 10 notches. And here I am a person who's written about health and fitness and all this stuff for more than a decade. And like, this is the thing that has like moved me along the most. And it made me wonder why I'm like, well, that's interesting. What the hell is going on there? I sort of noticed Oh, I thought back to that observation I made about discomfort. I was like, man, my life at home in Vegas is so comfortable in every single way. I'm never challenged. I don't really have to put effort into days, into my days. Everything is easy. But the environment that I was in, in the Arctic, that is how people lived for 2.5 million years of evolution. Life mm. was uncomfortable. Life was challenging. To live was to... Um, have to struggle and be, uh, be challenged in a variety of different ways. And so there's a discrepancy there. And it made me think, oh, I wonder what we've lost um, as we've sort of tipped into comfort over the last hundred years. That's when you start to really see our lives becoming a lot um, easier in a lot of ways. And so, you know, being a journalist, when I have a question like this, it's like, ooh, let's go. You know, this is like... <laughs> this is why I do the job. Got a question and now we got to figure it out. And uh, I started, you know, I read a bunch of studies, uh, read a lot of ancient texts, all this stuff, but I traveled the world too. And I went to, I was just all around. Um, I met with people like researchers at Harvard and doctors at the Mayo Clinic and um, special forces soldiers. I went to Bhutan and met with Buddhist leaders. I went to Iceland, met with geneticists, like just all over. And these are kind of all people who, I guess I would say in their own unique way are sort of finding that, you know, there's benefits to rediscovering a lot of these forms of discomfort that we've engineered out of our days. And by reinserting this kind of stuff into our life, we can improve our health, our happiness, and even, even our sense of meaning in a lot of ways. So that's kind of the, the genesis of the book and where it took me. And then from there, I was sitting down to write it all. <laughs> I'm curious if you think that our minds are challenged more or less now. I, I think it's pretty obvious that we could say that society is set up to where physically we're much less challenged than we were, you know, call it, of course, a thousand years ago, 10,000 years ago and beyond. But what would you say about that in terms of the challenge, challenges that our minds have in terms of dealing with the complexity and so forth? I'm just curious, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I would say that they, I think it'd be hard to know for sure, but I would say they're probably challenged about the same, um, just differently. So if you think about, you know, life, there is a lot of complexity in life now, but it's like this different stuff we never had to think about as we evolved. I mean, you even think about something like reading that's something that we just had to make up in order to communicate at a, on a grand scale. When you think about it as we evolved, I had this conversation with a guy who studies uh, persistence hunters. So hunters and gatherers, and uh, one of the ways that um, they hunt is this thing called persistence hunting, which is literally you, you run an animal down across 5, 10, 15 miles. Um, and then when it topples over from heat exhaustion, uh, you spear it. But along the way, you're tracking it. So I said, you know, what do people most get wrong about hunter-gatherers? And he said, I think the, the that life is really an intellectual act for them. So as they are covering ground, they are also having to track animals. They know so much about the landscapes they live in, all this different information right? They have all these amazing skills and really have to think and plan about how do I get enough food? How do I do X, Y, Z? We are still doing that exact same thing, but now it's like, how do I get the numbers right on the spreadsheet? Equally mm -hmm. intellectual, just different, you know? That's a really cool observation. And I almost feel like what you're doing is like you're uncovering like breadcrumbs, so to speak, in terms of like some clues as to how we can live an optimal life or, as you mentioned, even just live a more fulfilling life and be happier. And obviously, from a fit perspective, you know, there's a lot to be said about discomfort physically and what that can allow you to do. But you were talking about a transformation, right? You were you went to the Arctic, you spent a month in the Arctic. 
And I've even heard you talk about, you know, carrying a hundred pound caribou on your back. Like I can only imagine how challenging that was, but I mean, why do you think you were so transformed? I mean, was it your mindset and your perspective of, Hey, I can push through more discomfort than, than my mind tells me I can, or what, what are your thoughts there? I think there's a handful of things that happen. And just to kind of back up is I think that people, um, today, like we've advanced as a species so much over the last hundred years. I don't think we stop and reflect on just how different life is. I mean, every single thing, you know, I point out that every single thing that most influences your daily life keeps you alive, keeps you comfortable. It's all less than a hundred years old. So interesting. I mean, you wake up on like a soft bed, your house is temperature controlled. When you need food, it's in the refrigerator. When you need water, it comes out of a tap. Um, (laughs) You can shower all the time. What do you do for work? You're behind a screen. Right. If you need to get in touch, if you need to talk to someone, you know, you you have this phone, you don't have to go, you know, you don't have to put an effort to life, like just so much change. And so I think that by going out in the Arctic, um, I'm sort of mimicking the lives we used to live in the past a lot of ways. So I think it like reinserted me um, into all these things that have changed for us. So that goes to carrying things across the rough ground, right? All day. Um, everything takes effort. I mean, I sort of named off a few, but even being in nature, it's like the, the average person today spends 95% of their time indoors. Well, we evolved in outdoor environments. Our ancestors were outdoorsy in the sense that they freaking lived outdoors, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, we even know that things like extended time in nature is really good for our mental health. It's like, well, why is that? It's because we're adapted to those environments. And still today you take a person in a city, you put them out in nature and they calm down. Even their blood pressure goes down, their stress hormones go down. Um, But we don't, we're not in those environments anymore. So there's just like so many things that happen to me out there that I think in modern life, what we try and do is we try and reinsert things one at a time in a vacuum and and they help for sure. But it used to be that like we were doing all those things all the time. Right. So there's a, there's definitely a fundamental shift. And I think to your point about, you know, what did it tell me is that I'll answer that this way. So as part of the book, um, I meet this guy and his name is Marcus Elliott and he's a, he's definitely like a seeker. He's super far out. Um, he's been going to burning man since day one. Um, but he's also super smart. He graduated from Harvard medical school. He decided, uh, I'm not going to be a doctor. I'm going to totally revolutionize sports science. Like this is a big, this is a big goal, right? Um, well, he ends up doing it. He now owns this facility called P3. He'd done a lot of work with pro teams uh, on staff for a while. He owns this facility called P3 that is basically uses, um, big data AI and applies it to, um, human movement. And he can tell you things like your injury risk is 60% this season based on all these other people he's seen move a certain way. And um, super fascinating stuff, has contracts with like the NBA, the NFL, all these different big leagues, whatever. But he also knows that what improves human performance and potential, it's like not everything can be measured, you know, as much as he Mm -hmm. is like a big data guy. And so he does this thing called uh, Masogi. And it goes like this. It's like once a year, they go out, him and some people go out and they do something really, really freaking hard. And they judge it by saying, we should only have a 50% chance of completing this task. And it's usually something kooky and made up. You know, they've done things like walking boulders under the Santa Barbara channel, or like, we're going to stand up paddle, paddleboard 25 miles. We've never paddleboard really before, but we're going <laughs> to try wow. this thing. And the idea is that by taking on a task that is actually has a high degree of failure because nowadays we have the luxury of being able to do things that we're probably not going to fail at. We hate failure. So we just choose things we're not really probably going to fail at. You learn something about yourself along the way. So you kind of get into this middle ground where you're like, I don't know if I can finish this. Like I'm going to quit or my edge is coming up. I'm quitting once I hit this point because I just Mm -hmm. can't do it. But by going past that, you can look back reflect back and see like, oh, I thought my edge was there, but I'm past it. So if I've sold myself short there, like where else in my life am I selling myself short? You know, that is so good. (laughs) Yeah. And as humans, we used to have to do these challenging things with a high degree of failure all the time Mm -hmm. as we evolved, right? This could be 
hunting. This could be um, having to migrate from one camp to another and like a storm rolls in, all this stuff. And each time we would do these sort of challenges, we would learn something about ourselves and our potential. And we would even engineer this kind of stuff into our lives in the form of things like rites of passage. It's like all these different cultures throughout time had all these different rites of passage, but they all had the same basic structure, which is we're taking you from the cup, from the comfort of home. And we are putting you into this trying middle ground and you're going to battle. You're going to struggle. It's going to suck. But along the way, you're going to learn something about yourself and come out the other side and improved person. You are literally going to be a new person. You're going from person A to person B. Person B is who we need to really, uh, is who can help our tribe and help us live yeah. on and succeed. And we don't have that anymore. So by mimicking that, you can kind of get some of those things that we used to get in the past and realize that you're way more capable than you think possible. I mean, because even think of like daily life, you know, it's like, I'll, I'll tell that to people and they're like, well, I could never do that. You go, well, guess what, bud? Had you been born a thousand years ago, just by happenstance, you would have been doing that stuff all the freaking time. Like the yeah, idea that like right. people can't do stuff, we've just deconditioned ourselves out of that. And the upside is that we can recondition ourselves into it. Hey guys, just a quick word from our sponsor and we'll be right back to the show. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital. And you know how much I love real estate and how it can be a vehicle towards creating any outcome that you want in your life, which is really why we created CF Capital, a real estate investment firm that focuses on acquiring and operating multifamily assets that provide stable cash flow, capital appreciation, and a margin of safety for our investors, for our partners, and for the people that we serve. Our team leverages its expertise in acquisitions and management to provide investors like you with superior risk-adjusted returns while placing a premium on preserving capital. Our mission is to provide property investment and asset management solutions to help investors maximize their returns by investing in high-value multifamily communities. Our philosophy is that we can elevate communities together through this process. And I want to invite you to go check out cfcapllc.com because we have a free ebook that's called the bottom line, the 10 ways to increase cash flow in an apartment complex. And I want to tell you that this is a value packed ebook. So I want to, want to invite you to go check that out right now at cfcapllc.com. I think you're going to get a ton of value just from reading this, whether you apply it to your own business or whether you educate yourself further on what it would look like if you invested with CF Capital. So go check that out at cfcapllc.com. Again, that's cfcapllc.com and enjoy the rest of the show. We can recondition ourselves into it. And, and it's almost like, it seems like that's why you say it's a crisis, right? Because people are not transforming. They're not pushing the edges of what's truly possible in their life. So they're never reaching their potential. And so you're saying, Hey, look guys, shining, you know, the, the red, you know, alert <laughs> bells or whatever, however you want to describe it. Yeah. It's like, we have a problem here. So if you really want to maximize your life and your capabilities, it's, let's seek more discomfort, right? That's is yeah. that what you're saying. Yeah. Cause I think, you know, humans are really um, programmed to do that, which is most comfortable because that used to keep us alive in the past, you know, yeah, eating too much, try and avoid movement, um, avoid all risk, um, avoid the elements, all this stuff, right. That used to keep us alive because life naturally forced us to do these things that um, kept us alive, made us healthy. Um, but nowadays, we still have this comfort drive and our world is very comfortable. So we don't have to do any of this stuff. And it tends to backfire on us. Like we've become in a way, a lot of people victims of our own success as a species. Mm -hmm. You know, you look at things like the overweight and obesity rate, it's over 70%. It's because we have an ingrained call to laziness. We also have an ingrained call to eat too much food. You know, all that yeah. stuff used to serve us, but it doesn't anymore. And on and on and on things like, you know, heart disease, um, certain cancers, they're all tied to the fact that, uh, among other things, one of the, one of the main drivers is, uh, well, there's two, our food system. And then two back to the fact that we don't have to move anymore as much, mm -hmm. you know? So, yeah, I think it's important for the awareness, right? The awareness of, Hey, we've evolved to seek comfort because that's what has gotten us here. That's what's continued to pass on our genes, but that's really not serving us now. If we want to be higher performers, if we want to live a more happy, fulfilled life with health and fitness and all the other, you know, great things, we've got to seek this discomfort. So if you were to, you know, suggest practical tips for folks to say, all right, well, if, if society in our life has built, you know, this, um, you know, this, 
reality that we live in, which is very comfortable. How do we bring back some discomfort? And obviously, you know, things that come to mind are, you know, fitness and pushing the limits and pushing yourself farther. But what other practical tips? I know you wrote a whole book about this, yeah. but, <laughs> but what other practical tips would you, uh, would you point to? Yeah, I'll fire, I'll fire off a few. I'll try and make it, um, sort of succinct. So one, I would say try a Masogi. There are two rules. Must be really hard, 50-50 chance of failing. And then the second once rule Once a year, is, right? Once, once a, a year. year. Yeah. I love that. And it's uh, and then the second rule is uh, don't die. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I think that that 50-50 part is really important because when people do exercise, let's say I go, I'm going to run a marathon. Well, what do I do? I usually like do all this training. I know I'm going to finish that marathon. Yeah. Right? We often don't do things where we truly are like, I don't know if I can do this. So the idea of a Masogi is just like, pick something random. This is you for you. Go out and try it. See if you can do it. Cause it's not, it's not a physical act. It's a, it's a psychological and even sort of spiritual act that has a physical element. Can I ask a follow-up question on that? Yeah. It needs to be physically related though, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's like a hundred mile marathon or something crazy. Like, I mean, you just used the marathon example. So that was probably a terrible yeah. one, but it is related to physical fitness that is going to push you mentally. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. Something that has a physical element is in nature. And the 50, 50 thing is important because I talk about kind of the Arctic was, was my Masogi, but that was 50% for me. So your 50% might be something harder, might be something right. easier. If you haven't, if you haven't exercised in a decade, your 50-50 right. might be like, Hey, I'm going to see if I can walk five miles straight, right. you right. know, right. whatever it is. You just have to have that real sense of like, I don't know if I can do this. Let's start somewhere though, is the point. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think another thing that is important um, for people today is, and I experienced this in the Arctic because we were up there hunting and hunting is a lot of sitting around and waiting. Now, of course, my cell phone doesn't work up there. I couldn't <laughs> get a single bar within a hundred mile radius. You know, I found myself bored, which is something that people, they don't have to deal with boredom anymore because we mm -hmm. have these really easy effortless escapes, right? It's like the average person spends more than 11 hours a day using digital media. That's from cell phones. That's from television. Um, that's from being on the computer etc. Mm -hmm. uh, but boredom is this evolutionary discomfort that we have that basically tells us to do something. As we evolved, that something was usually something. So if a hunt was just not going well, it would kick on and it was like this discomfort and we'd be like, okay, I'll go find, you know, I'll go pick potatoes or whatever it might be. Um, but nowadays, uh, our escape from boredom as one neuroscientist told me is like junk food for our mind, right? It's like this... <laughs> quick, easy way to get rid of boredom. But I think that people will find if you don't take that easy route out with some sort of media or screen, whatever it is, you're going to be forced inward. You're going to start to have some time to sort of allow your mind to wander. And it might go to some weird places, but you might also come up with new creative ideas. So when scientists will do... Um, tests on this, they will get, they'll have one group and they'll just let them use their phone or whatever. And then they'll give them a creativity test and they do fine. But when they get a group and they bore them, then give them the creativity test, that group that was bored always comes up with more and better answers for this creativity test, because your brain tends to start to like, think about, think of different ideas and, and sort of rides a different wavelength. And it also, um, inward time sort of gives your brain a rest because you're not actively focusing on the outward world. So I think that that's a great way. And I think, you know, you hear a lot when I say a lot, you, uh, you hear a lot like messaging around that we need to use our, our phones less and everyone understands that. I don't think there's anyone I know who's like, yeah, I don't use my phone enough. You know, <laughs> Right. It's like, we all want to use our phone less. We all try. Um, but I think that sometimes when people use their phone less, they start to watch Netflix instead. They mm -hmm. go on their computer because they're like, oh, what do I do with my boredom? You know, now <laughs> I'm bored. What do I do? But your brain doesn't know the difference. So I think really we just need these times of complete removal where we go inward. And so the way that I do this is that I'll just leave all my stuff at home and I'll go for a walk out in the desert because I live in Las Vegas on the edge of the desert. And it's this time where I can just be completely inward. I can kind of observe nature and just totally disconnect. And I usually come back with good ideas for the type of work I do. Sometimes mm -hmm. I'm out there and I'm just thinking of nonsense, but that's totally fine too. Cause at least I'm kind of like resting and rejuvenating going out in nature. Like I said, 95% of our time is indoors. Um, one thing that 
there's these different doses we need. There's this concept called the nature pyramid. And it basically states that like, you should go, you should spend at least 20 minutes outside three days a week because that's associated with increased focus, increased productivity, less stress, five hours a week or five hours a month rather in more sort of out there nature at like a state park is associated with a lot more happiness and less depression. And then the top, what I think is most fascinating is this idea called the three-day effect. And it basically says that after three um, totally unconnected days in more backcountry nature, your brain starts to ride what are called alpha waves. Now, these are the same brain waves that are found in experienced meditators, and they're associated with a lot more calmness, a lot more well-being, um, a lot more creativity. It's just like this total mental reset that can kind of reset you for a year. So that's something I try and do uh, as well. So I've given you a few. I mean, I can go on <laughs> for days, but let's start with those. No, that's that's really good. And, and I can really relate to that. And by the way, that was the article that I was reading. And at the end, it was like, oh, this is Michael Easter. I love it. This oh, is awesome. Cool, yeah. So it was <laughs> nice. such, it is really, really insightful because um, my wife and I recently went on a hike. We took a Friday off work and we went, we went out, uh, you know, hiking for the day and and I can tell you that we were both a little bit stressed out as we got there. And it took us a little bit of a time to really connect to nature and spend time there. And of course, you know, we're getting eaten by mosquitoes half the time and, you know, you're dealing with that whole thing. But it's it's really interesting because as we left there, it almost felt like we had defragged our system, too, yeah. so to speak. And it wasn't it wasn't a full three days, but it was you know, five hours. And it's yeah. amazing the power of that. It's almost what I've heard is like your brain can see patterns between, you know, leaves and twigs and larger trees and, you know, streams and, uh, and so forth. But am I saying that correctly? Yeah. So there's this, uh, there's a lot of reasons why I think nature tends to help people. Um, there's the sounds seem to be calming to people. Um, the mm -hmm. fact that when you're in nature, you're usually moving a bit, you're also kind of disconnected, but then th what you're bringing up is nature is made up of fractals. And these are yeah. like repeating patterns that are throughout the, the universe. So you think like big branch into smaller branch into smaller branch into a leaf, which is kind of like its own little smaller yeah. branch. Right. And, um, for whatever reason, probably because we evolved to in them, it, our brain seems to find fractals to be really calming and they sort of resonate with us. Whereas when you're at home or in a city, all you're seeing is right angles and there's no fractals. One piece of research I love is that uh, researchers think that Jackson Pollock's paintings are so popular and really speak to people because they're made up of fractals. It's kind of like a big splash into a small splash into a small splash. So it's, it's so interesting because it just, it brings me back to this philosophy that I'm really fond of. It's easy choices, hard life, hard choices, easy life. It yeah. almost seems like this is really the path. And one of my first coaches, when I got into real estate, always said, and he said this constantly. And I was like, it was almost annoying. He was like, find comfort being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. He's like, find comfort being uncomfortable. And it's almost like designing this as a way of life. You know, it's in, and so some of the things that you just described are almost sort of tactics or, or a pathway towards doing that. But you know, one of the things that I found interesting in a previous life, I actually do, I did marketing for a restaurant company and, and we did this survey, right? And we did this huge survey because we're trying to figure out how do we, you know, evolve our menu. And I'm, I'll get to the point here in a second, but we, we sent out the survey and I'll tell you, most people responded to the survey and said, Hey, we want more healthy options. We want more healthy options. And the comments, you know, from the head were, Hey, we want to make better, you know, better healthy decisions in our life in terms of our consumption. And when we did this, when we made some shifts and we added more healthy options, they tanked. I mean, people didn't buy the healthy options. They wouldn't eat healthy. So it's almost like you have to, you have to understand our natural tendencies to not do things that are really good for us or do things that are uncomfortable. So how do we build this into our life otherwise? But do you have any yeah. thoughts on that? I'm not shocked. I mean, I think that everyone, <laughs> everyone wants to eat healthier, right? Right. Does everyone eat healthier? <laughs> Doesn't no. seem to be. <laughs> um, so there's this gap between like intention and intervention, right? Um, you know, in the book, uh, in terms of, I have a section on hunger and uh, I think that the way that nutrition science and diet culture is set up is that, you know, every name diet, it goes by the same basic formula. And that's that there is one food that is the enemy. It is the 
This is the evil thing. It's an ingredient to food. It's a macronutrients. And, and that, that's the reason you're fat. That's the reason for all <laughs> your problems. Right. Yeah, yeah. So like low carb carbs are the enemy, low fat, fats, the enemy Mediterranean diet foods that are not from the Mediterranean. <laughs> those are why you're fat. Yeah. Right. But at the end of the day, um, when they do studies and they'll put people on these kind of diets and as long as people comply, people lose weight. So why is that? It's because at the end of the day, it's calories, it's calories in calories out. Like it's pretty basic physics. So then the question becomes, all right, if we're all overweight, uh, and people keep hopping in on and off different diets, what's the disconnect? It's that we can't stay on the diet long enough. Well, why is that? It's because we can't deal with hunger. So hunger is really the rate limiting step because once you start to lose weight, because of our evolutionary past, our body, when we would lose weight, it would basically think that, oh, things, something's wrong here. Mm -hmm. So your metabolism slows down, even your um, incidental movement, you'll move less. Um, if you get really into a calorie deficit, even your body temperature lowers in order to save energy. So you have to basically start to become comfortable with the discomfort of hunger. And I think that's really what, um, why people can't lose weight consistently. You know, most people, I think 90 something percent of diets fail every year. So being willing to, um, feel that and also realizing that, you know, today, a lot of what we think of as hunger is often just stress or you're used to eating at a certain time. So your body's like, Hey, feed me, you know, mm -hmm. the research says that, um, only 20% of our eating is actually driven by real physiological hunger. So I met this, um, this guy in Austin and he owns this nutrition company and he's like super, super, super genius. You know, he like got his PhD when he was 22, graduated college when he was 18. Wow. And he has a nutrition company now. And you know, he, what he really does is he helps people become, he doesn't care what you eat. He cares why you eat. So he helps people, not eat when they're not hungry, which tends to be a lot of extra eating for people. And he also makes people more aware of how much they're eating. Cause that's another thing is we, we have no idea, you know, our body always defaults to more food, more food has made sense throughout all of time, except for the last hundred years. So sort of building awareness into your day about what are your behaviors? Why do you have those behaviors? Are you sure you, uh, are you sure you're right about what you think your behaviors are? I think that that not only extends to food, that extends to everything in your life, right? A lot of people today, when they want to improve their life a notch or, you know, improve their performance, um, in whatever domain it is, they try and add shiny new things and step mm. on the gas. I'm going to do this new thing. This is the thing when really they're often not aware of their behaviors that are holding them back. They still have a foot on the brake. Doesn't you can't go that much faster if your foot is still on the brake. So sort of building in habits that make you aware of, okay, what is holding me back? I think, and just removing those limiters to progress can be a lot more effective than just adding new stuff. Yeah. And it's interesting. I was talking to a neuroscientist recently on this, this exact topic, and he was talking about folks that uh, smoke as an example. He's like, when we place awareness on smoking and the sensations of, Hey, what do you actually like about this smoking? It, he's like, it's really interesting because, and, and of course he's not as interested as I am in it. Cause he knows exactly what's going on in the brain. But he says, look, you know, people start to realize that really, if we get to the root cause of this behavior or this habit, it was really because it made them feel cool you know, several decades ago, and it's just become this ingrained habit and they don't actually enjoy that sensation. And it's really, really interesting. So it's like separating the awareness from the activity. And yeah. just to your point on food, you know, we're not aware sometimes of how much we're, you know, engaging in or, or, or other behaviors, whether it's scrolling social media or doing things that really are taking us away from focus, right? Totally. You know, it's almost like we've got to be focused, but what, what comments do you have on that? Yeah. I, I talk about this a little bit in the book. There's this, um, there's this thing called the Hawthorne effect and scientists hate it. It's a nuisance to scientists. And it basically states that when you, uh, when a subject in a study is being observed, their behavior changes, but you can actually leverage this for good in your own life. If you start to track what you do, when, and why all of a sudden you become aware of things and you can use it to change your behavior. So it's sort of like leveraging the Hawthorne effect in order to, get an outcome that you want. Because I think that people just aren't, um, you know, we, we're always going to do the thing that's most comfortable unconsciously. Yeah. 
We have two, 2.5 million years of wiring telling us to do that. Why wouldn't you? Right. But that doesn't always work. So we need to be aware of, of this kind of stuff. Man, that is so good. And, and we will absolutely put a link in the show note of where you can find the comfort crisis. Uh, Michael Easter, man, what an awesome conversation. This is phenomenal. I know we're just scratching the surface and we could go so much deeper, but I want to encourage Elevate Nation to go pick up the book immediately. And uh, with all that said, I want to transition into our rapid fire section. We call it the rare air questionnaire, man. This is a rare conversation. It's rare that we're going to seek discomfort, right? It's rare that we're going to go through this path because of what you've been able to discover and what what you're able to share with us. We understand and we have awareness that this is the path, right? The challenging path, perhaps can actually be easier in the long run. So I think there's so much value in this conversation. I have a few questions for you as being an amazing author yourself. If you had to point to two or three of the most impactful books that you've read over the past few years, what would those be and why? Okay. So since it's rapid fire, I'll try and be quick. Uh, Into Thin Air by John Krakauer. Uh, Read that book when I was maybe 12, 11. And like the way that he wove um, an adventure narrative with science and was on the ground, it just, it changed me. Uh, number two, I would say Sapiens. Uh, that book made me think, um, oh, you can think big time scales. Mm. Number three would be Hero with a Thousand Faces. That's Joseph Campbell. And that, you know, being, I went to school for science journalism, hardcore science all my life. And it made me really realize, you know, some of the things that improve our lives can't always be measured. Science can't always tell you, give you all the answers. Yeah, it's a paradox. I feel like our, you know, our entire conversation has been a paradox in some ways, but that's a, that's an awesome one as well. We'll have to put, we'll put links in the show notes to all three books that you just shared right there. So thank you for that. I, I know mm-hmm. in particular, Sapiens was a big one for me as well. And, you know, it's led into this conversation in so many ways. My mind is thinking about where we've come from over millions of years and it's clues, right? And, and following your curiosity, I think, can provide so many more clues to how you can make better decisions in your life. And man, what an awesome share there. Aside from our discussion today, what's the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis, Michael? It's a good question. I think that it's, uh, I think I'm lucky to be doing something that I like truly love. And so that's kind of an important message. Like when I have, um, when I have a blank page and information and I start putting things together, it's like, I mean, I've never done drugs, but I can imagine if it feels anything like that, I can see why people do drugs. You know, it's just like awesome putting that thing together. So I think um, having a rewarding career is important um, for me and also helping people and being, you know, willing to put myself out there and help others and just, you know, kind of be there for people and not just the people that I'm closest to just, you know, random people. So your work almost reminds me of like tough love. It's like, man, it's the, it's the news that we need to know. It's the information that we need to know. And a lot of people may be uncomfortable even understanding that discomfort is the path, right? So uh, I think you're definitely elevating many people by, by doing that, but you're elevating up, of course, as you just described your life as a result of that. But if you were to take it a step further uh, and, and describe the biggest way that you elevate others around you, what would you say to that? Probably just getting a somewhat counterintuitive message out to the public uh, with this book. It's been really fascinating to see the outreach for sure. I mean, I've gotten people, um, everyone from, you know, a mother of four who's 60 years old and read my book and started changing her life. And now she's 30 pounds lighter wow. to, you know, people who were vets in the military and um, found themselves stuck and had PTSD and the book has helped them. So I think it's like, it's that it's like, you know, not everyone that reads the book is going to be super profoundly impacted, but some people are. And that's where it's like really cool. Cause you do this thing in your office for three years and you're (laughs) alone for most of it and you're traveling and then you put it out and you just go, well, see what happens here. And so to get feedback from people who it's helped, I think is, uh, is pretty cool. Man, I just want to acknowledge you for your work, man. I want to acknowledge you for your commitment to uncovering the truth because, man, the truth seems scarce in today's world. But <laughs> what you've done is you've gone out there and not only led by example by uncovering it through experience, but giving that gift to so many people, man. I just want to honor you for that. I want to honor you for giving so much value to today's show. You're amazing. And I want to encourage Elevate Nation again to go pick up the comfort crisis, embrace discomfort to reclaim your wild, happy, 
healthy self. Of course, we'll put a link in the show notes to where you can do that. And as well as where you can find Michael Easter at eastermichael.com. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes to where you can find him on Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff. But where else can uh, the listeners find you, Michael? I think, I think you nailed it, man. I really appreciate you having me on and I appreciate what you're doing as well. It's cool, um, you know, to get your uh, voice out and like help me amplify my voice and kind of talk about these topics that we really need to talk about in, especially in the context of the work you do. I think that's cool. Cause I think people can identify that sort of feel like you have a little bit of a tribe going, which is rad. Yeah, man. You're the best. I appreciate you saying that. And uh, before we wrap, is there any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd like to share with Elevate Nation? Mm, I don't think so. You put the pressure <laughs> on me. <laughs> I certainly uh, did. Yeah, do, do something uncomfortable today. How about that? Doesn't need to be crazy. Just do something that is makes you feel a little uncomfortable. Something that's a little bit of a challenge. Just one thing. That's super easy. That's a super easy uh, challenge for Elevate Nation. Michael, thank you so much again for being on the show. Really, really appreciate you. We will see you next time, my friend. All right. Thank you very much. Wow. Elevate Nation. My goodness. We just sat down with the great Michael Easter. That was insane. That was so good. And uh, if you heard Michael Easter on the Joe Rogan podcast, all I can say is, uh, man, I think I think he showed up today in a big way. Of course, he crushed it on on Joe's show, but I think he brought the heat today on Elevate Podcast. And I hope that was one of the best, um, you know, times for him to really share his message and, um, you know, to really give us an understanding of some hints, right? Some clues into optimizing our life, into optimizing our performance, into taking it to the next level and transforming, right? Because life is a continual evolution, right? We're continually evolving. Uh, but the thing is, you know what? If we look back millions of years, obviously there's a lot to be said about what Michael just shared with us in so many different capacities. But I just want to encourage you to re-listen to the show because repetition is the mother of all skill. And I want to encourage you to identify what are your top three takeaways? What are your top three key distinctions that you will apply immediately? It's not like to, or you should, or, or you could, but you will apply immediately because at the end of the day, massive action is what it's all about. And, you know, we had one challenge there by Michael, it's do something uncomfortable today. And so what is that that you will do today? What does that look like tomorrow and so forth? And how can you make that a part of your lifestyle? Because I'm telling you, you know, finding comfort and being uncomfortable can be the key. It can be the transformer for you. I want to encourage you to pay it forward. Share this with a friend. Share this with someone that you care about, whether you work with them in business, whether they're on your real estate team, whether they're in your family, whether they're an investor with you or what have you. Share this with someone else. All you have to do is grab the link and pay that forward and share this with someone else and maybe even share them. Hey, here's the one uncomfortable thing that I'm going to do today because that's what it's all about. Guys, Elevate Nation, I really, really appreciate you. Really appreciate you tuning in. And until next time, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.